Engaging conversation on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. Well, hello, friends. Father Frank Pavone here, National Director of Priests for Life. Welcome to our program. We are grateful to have all of you Christians and patriots from across the country coming together to pray for America, to pray for life, to pray for the protection of the unborn, of our freedom, of our very nation. We're going to start, as we usually do, with scripture and a prayer, and then introduce our special guest for tonight. I want to go to 1 Peter chapter 3. We read the following, starting in verse 13. Now, who is going to harm you if you are enthusiastic for what is good? But even if you should suffer because of righteousness, blessed are you. Do not be afraid or terrified with fear of them, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always be ready to give an explanation to anyone who asks you for the reason for your hope. But do it with gentleness and reverence, keeping your conscience clear, so that when you are maligned, those who defame your good conduct in Christ may themselves be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that be the will of God, than for doing evil. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that you give us hope, that you give us a mission, and that we know how to respond. We know how to respond to you. We know how to live and proclaim our faith. We know how to promote the good of our nation. We know how to protect our youngest brothers and sisters. Father, as we face forces that are against us, enable us to follow and live this scripture. Enable us to diffuse everywhere uh, the good fragrance of Christ and the light of truth. Enable us, Lord, to articulate that truth. And may our time together tonight make us even more equipped and even more confident in speaking up for the most fundamental right, the right to life. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, friends, one of the people that is doing uh, exactly this and that I've been privileged to know and partner with for many years now is Scott Klusendorf. He uh, has uh, leads, uh, has started and leads a uh, uh, an initiative called the Life. Um, I'm sorry, the uh, Scott, help me out here. The Life Training Institute, my friend. I, I know it, and and no, uh, yes. listen, no problem at all. <laughs> totally forgiven. So uh, it's great to have you with us. I want to uh, introduce you to our audience. And uh, we go back, oh my goodness, it was uh, well before Life Training Institute. We were both connected with uh, Greg Cunningham and the Center for Bioethical Reform. And uh, give us a little background of the different things you've done over these years. And uh, then we'll get into your, your current work. Well, we first met, as you correctly pointed out, in a diner in Morristown, New Jersey, in summer of 1994, we were both involved in a training seminar to equip pro-life advocates to raise funding so they could do the work full time. Right. And you have definitely uh, been one who's been able to showcase a full-time pro-life involvement. And I would say, thank God for your work, Father Pavone, really grateful for it. And here at Life Training Institute, what we have done is try to equip 
Catholic and Protestant Christians to make a case for the pro-life view and to do it in a way that works with a culture that rejects religious truth as real knowledge. Now, you and I, we believe that religious truth is real and knowable. We don't yes. hold subjective private religious opinions. We believe that our religion, our beliefs are true with a capital T. And we're not making a mere preference claim when we make our views known. We're arguing for them for the purpose of showing that they're true and reasonable to believe. So that's what we do at, at Life Trading Institute is equip Christians to make a case for the pro-life view, even in the secular marketplace of ideas. Yes, it's so it's so crucial. And our our audience is 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 very, very uh, committed to this. Uh, we have on this program a lot of discussion about you know the direction america is going and as you know scott most people right now in america think we're going in the wrong direction yeah and for for a lot of our fellow citizens one of the key reasons they think we're going in the wrong direction is that we see this extremism just it, it, it it's more bold today wouldn't you say than it was when you and i first met and we were we were we were doing pro life work but it's like, you know, the, the, we, and we always knew that, you know, they wanted abortion on demand without apology. But, 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 but in the mainstream of the pro-abortion movement, they were trying to th say things like President Clinton said, well, safe, legal, but rare. You know, oh, it's a bad thing. And they seem to have thrown off any pretense of that now. And just standing up with this bold extremism of abortion without any restriction, without any apology. And I think this is one of the reasons why so many of our fellow Americans really think we're on the wrong track. I think so. And one of the reasons the pro-abortion movement has had to abandon the safe, legal, and rare rhetoric of Bill Clinton is that pro-life advocates like you like me, like others you and I have trained, have forced pro-abortion advocates to answer a very sticky question. Why should abortion be rare? If there's nothing wrong with it, why worry about how many there are? By forcing the abortion debate back to the question, what is the unborn? We've been able to expose the extremism of our opponents. And you're exactly correct. This all started about 10 years ago with feminist Katha Pollack coming out with her book, Pro Reclaiming Abortion Rights, where she argued we needed to stop apologizing for abortion. Vacuuming yeah. out your house is no different than vacuuming out your womb. Both are morally neutral. And she began a strong push that has now been adopted wholesale by the pro-abortion movement to the extent that Planned Parenthood is now saying that the, the term pro-choice is not appropriate. Let's go ahead and just say what we're for. We're for abortion. And we forced them to that point. Now, the good news is large numbers of Americans do not feel comfortable labeling themselves pro-abortion and pro-abortion for any reason whatsoever. However, the bad news for the pro-life side is that the worldview assumptions that make abortion plausible to millions of Americans are deeply entrenched in our culture, and they're not going to go away overnight, even if Roe v. Wade, may the Lord grant it, be reversed. We are still going to have a apologetics task in front of us that your group, my group, and every other pro-life group is going to have to embrace. And that task is 
making sure people know what the pro-life argument is. Yes. Now, for those that are just joining us, uh, friends, we're talking with Scott Klusendorf, uh, president of the Life Training Institute, and he is helping people across the nation to articulate the pro-life message and understand the reasoning behind it. Um, so, Scott, you're touching on a, a, a very crucial thing here where there's, there's this disconnect of the, the radical abortion lobby and the general American public. Because people, even who don't give too much thought about abortion, they are uncomfortable with it, aren't they? I mean, they might say, you know, we should be allowed at least in certain circumstances, but they really are uncomfortable with it, don't see it as a good thing, believe there should be, when they come to know what our current policy is, there should be more restrictions. And this disconnect, I mean, as we've been saying, they've come out now boldly and say, are saying, we don't want any restrictions. This is a good thing. Um, but that's making them more and more disconnected, isn't it, from where the American people are? Yeah, you're exactly right. Uh, there is a yuck factor that goes along with abortion that you yeah. cannot squelch. I don't care how hard you try. It's going to be very difficult to squelch that unless you have intentionally uh, severed your conscience. You're going to be a person who looks at abortion and goes, boy, I, I may not want to make it illegal, but I sure don't want to champion it either. That's where the average American is. And what yeah. we're seeing with uh, surveys right now, the American public on one hand says, yeah, we support Roe v. Wade. But then in the very same survey, they will say that they support restrictions that Roe v. Wade disallows. So yeah. the public's having a real hard time. And a lot of that has to do, as our colleague Greg Cunningham has pointed out, that when it comes to abortion, the public's IQ automatically drops 80 points before the discussion even begins. A lot of people don't know the moral logic of the pro-life view. They don't even know, Father Frank, what our argument is, what it is we're actually arguing. And if they're pro-life, many of them Though they have pro-life sentiments, they don't know how to defend their view persuasively. And that passage of scripture you open the show with is spot on. We need to be prepared to always be ready to give a defense for the hope that lies within us. It's interesting that that passage, when it talks about making a defense for what we believe, is using a Greek term apologia, which is yeah. to make a case the way a lawyer would in a court of law. And that's our job, especially in pro, or I should say in post-Roe America. If Roe v. Wade is overturned, and again, let us all pray that it will be, we are going to have a fight on our hands in all 50 states, and all of us who are pro-life are going to have to step up and know what we believe and why we believe it. It's not going to be enough to say, oh, the church opposes abortion or the Bible opposes abortion. We've got to make a case for what we believe. You know, a lot of our audience here, Scott, are politically very, very active, uh, politically very savvy. Uh, many of, of uh, our viewers are uh, strong supporters of uh, President Trump and of the, the MAGA movement. And, and, and I've always pointed out, you know, the whole movement that we've seen in our country making America great is so tied in with what we're saying here, because part of the greatness of America is precisely our recognition that there's a there's a God-given right to life. Right. And uh, many of the, the our, our, our audience, too, um, in working to win elections, have been pointing out what we've been discussing here already, the extremism 
of the pro-abortion people, which has taken root in the extremism of, of the Democrat Party. We even see them unwilling to protect babies who survive an abortion. Could you help our, our, our audience, especially those that may not be focused on abortion uh, very intensively, the pro-life, but, but, but may not be uh, involved in the movement of pro-life very much, but nevertheless have this, this, uh, this awareness that, you know, it's very American to be pro-life. It's very consistent with the other side will try to say, oh, well, America, you know, it's freedom and therefore free, therefore freedom of choice. But my argument would be, no, it's being pro-life that is truly American. Help our audience to understand and, and express that. Yeah, no problem. Well, our pro-life argument very simply goes like this. It's wrong to intentionally kill innocent human beings. Abortion does that. Therefore, it's wrong. If I could take every political candidate that is pro-life in America and sit them down for a 30-second training before they went before the media, here's what I would train them to say, Father Pavone. I would teach them to say a soundbite that can be delivered in less than seven seconds, and it goes like this. I oppose abortion because it's wrong to intentionally kill innocent human beings. Full stop, rinse, repeat, ad infinitum. That short soundbite keeps you out of trouble and it conveys the moral logic of our pro-life view. Now, the fuller argument that I just made is that it's wrong to intentionally kill innocent human beings. Abortion does that, therefore it's wrong. And we defend that argument with science and philosophy. We argue from science that from the earliest stages of development, you were a distinct living and whole human being. You weren't part of another human being like skin cells. I'm pinching off the back of my hand right now. You were already a whole living member of the human family, even though you had yet to grow and mature. Then we argue philosophically that there's no essential difference between Father Frank the embryo and Father Frank the adult that would justify killing him at that earlier stage of development. Differences of size, level of development, environment, and degree of dependency are not good reasons for saying we could kill you then, but not now. Now notice, Father Frank, I did not make an exclusively religious argument. I didn't cite a biblical text. I didn't cite the teaching magisterium of the church. I didn't cite a catechism. I simply laid out an argument that it's wrong to intentionally kill innocent human beings. Abortion does that, therefore it's wrong. And then I defended it with science and philosophy. And we all need to know how to do that in a minute or less. We all need to equip ourselves to engage a culture for whom the worldview ideas that make abortion plausible are deeply entrenched in their minds. And it's our job to help dislodge those worldview premises. Okay, so friends, those of you that are just joining us, we're with Scott Klusendorf today. He heads up the Life Training Institute. And and uh, it's tell us, Scott, how people can connect with you and with the work of the Institute. They can join us online at prolifetraining.com, prolifetraining.com, all word, all one word. And if they go to prolifetraining.com, there's a link at the top that says the case for life. And if you like that little one minute defense of the pro-life view I just gave you, it's there along with the backup of the science, the philosophical argument as well. It's all there for people to review 
and uh, practice as they think about engaging others. You know, the, the, the disturbing trend uh, that we've seen, especially in the last few years, um, New York uh, passed this law in 2019 and a number of other states have done so recently, New Jersey very recently, where they're just throwing off all these legal limits to abortion, yeah. uh, the few that may have remained, uh, is, is also being accompanied by a, a, a disturbing um, trend of infanticide. And uh, we, uh, President Trump himself has often uh, referred to that, that disturbing uh, set of comments by uh, former Governor Northam of, of Virginia uh, about, you know, having a conversation when the baby is born and then you decide what you're going to do. Uh, I always think about Peter Singer and, you know, the quote that he, uh, he made when he said, well, you know, there's only really two, two consistent positions to take either oppose abortion or endorse infanticide. Could you explain for our audience why we're hearing uh, and even seeing in, 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 some, in some laws this uh, unwillingness even to protect a born baby and how that's a direct fruit of the, of the abortion mentality? Well, as far as Peter Singer goes, he's absolutely right. I disagree with his conclusion. It's appalling. However, his logic is consistent in that Singer argues, and he looks Planned Parenthood right in the eye when he does it, he argues that the unborn are not self-aware and the newborn is not self-aware. Neither is self-aware. Therefore, you can kill both. And he goes on to say, you can't draw an arbitrary line at birth and save the newborn while not saving the unborn. If neither one is self-aware, and he's correct, neither is, you then have to be consistent in your application of your practical ethic, to cite the title of his book, and you have to be willing to say it's permissible to kill the newborn just as it is the unborn, because newborns do not acquire self-awareness until several weeks after birth. The reason why the Democratic Party and pro-abortion groups worldwide are embracing letting born children die is because they are so terrified if there is any restriction at all on the abortion license, it's going to break the dam and all of a sudden the case for pro-abortion is going to fall apart. And they are terrified of that, Father Frank, and that's why they fight for every permissible option for abortion. Even as Governor Northam said, having a conversation and then if the child is alive, we'll make him comfortable. While he dies, I mean, this is barbaric. Uh, this is about not lifting a finger to save a born child. And isn't it interesting that we always get accused, as I'm sure you have, Father Frank, as I do daily, of not caring for children once they're born. Oh, you're only pro-fetus. Oh, you're only pro-birth. What are you doing for kids after they're born? Well, let me tell you one thing we're not doing for those kids. We're not killing them. We're not letting them die on the table the way you pro-abortion Democrats do. It's not the pro-life movement that doesn't care about children after they're born. It's the pro-abortion movement that doesn't care about children that manage to survive an abortion procedure after they're born. So it's this willingness to go to the farthest extreme to protect their precious right to kill an innocent human being. And that's what's going on. You know, you'll appreciate this, uh, Scott, as you do these pro-life apologetics. Uh, I've been talking 
and lately uh, in my remarks about the, the Dobbs case and this leaked opinion that came out from Justice Alito. Um, but in analyzing the case and how it's progressed so far, I pointed out that, you know, when this law in Mississippi was, was crafted, protecting babies starting at 15 weeks, the legislators had a lot of good reasons for passing that, that law. They said, you know, a lot of developments have happened in science and culture and, and law, and, and it's time to protect these babies earlier. So uh, it, it, the, the, the district court, when, when the law was first challenged, didn't even listen to any of those arguments. All they said was, well, this is pre-viability, case closed, it's unconstitutional. Um, and now, of course, the Supreme Court is reconsidering all of that. But the way that that fake uh, dogma that you can't protect babies before viability shut down any substantial, rational debate and argument in the court has, it seems to me, done the same thing in, in the court of, of, of just public opinion and day-to-day conversation between Americans. In other words, you have a conversation, and because of what the Supreme Court did in Roe and Casey, taking abortion and, and, and declaring it to be some kind of, have some kind of constitutional status, what it seems to me happens is that people can shut down uh, ordinary debate simply by standing up and declaring, oh, but it's a constitutional right. Oh, case closed then. Who wants to argue against constitutional rights? Oh, the Supreme Court said it. Well, what court is higher than the Supreme Court, right? So it's sort of like a dynamic that just as it has shut down debate in legislatures and courts, it seems to me the same has happened among around the kitchen table, around the, the, the water cooler at work. Uh, but now, if the Supreme Court indeed says, well, wait a minute, we're not going to set the policy on abortion. The lawmakers can set it. But but this does not have a special constitutional status. Deal with it the way you deal with m- most other issues. It seems to me that'll open up debate, not only in the legislatures and the courts, but around the, 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 the dining room table. Uh, you agree with that assessment? Do you see those, those dynamics happening? Oh, absolutely. Look, the law is a moral teacher. This is a concept that goes all the way back to Aristotelian thought, and it's true. People think that because something is legal, it is therefore moral. And by saying, hey, there is no constitutional right to an abortion, we are stripping away from the pro-abortion side a legal foundation for others thinking they're right on the issue. The fact is that slavery was once considered constitutional. That didn't make it right. So by taking away the aura of something being a constitutional right, we allow real debate to happen. And the American public is, they're believing a lot of misconceptions. And and here are two biggies. Number one, they believe that Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey restricted abortion after viability. Uh, No, they did not. In Roe v. Wade, the court said states may protect children after viability, not must, may, But as you know, if and only if those protections do not interfere with a woman's, quote, health, unquote, which the court went on in Doe v. Bolton to define so broadly you can drive a Mack truck through it. So that makes abortion 
basically for all practical purposes legal throughout the gestational time of pregnancy. But the other misconception that Americans have is that they want the federal government out of the abortion decision and they think that Roe v. Wade keeps the government out of the decision. No, it doesn't. In fact, what Roe v. Wade did is it took the abortion issue away from the executive and legislative branches of government and the court said, we alone will determine meaningful abortion policy. Mm. You people, through your elected representatives, have no say in this issue anymore. So far from keeping the federal government out of the abortion issue, what happened was Roe v. Wade and Casey, which followed, put the federal government square in the middle of making abortion policy rather than legislatures doing it through elected through their elected office, it's being done by the federal courts who are simply legislating from the bench. Well, Scott, I think that uh, your work and the work of the Life Training Institute is going to be more important than ever as the court uh, makes this shift, uh, which uh, we, we hope will be imminent and, and uh, truly, as we expect, um, is going to be more important than ever, that we train people how to talk about this, train people how to think about this. And, and you've always done such, you and your team, such a fantastic job at that. Tell our viewers once again how they can connect with you and the great resources that you provide. They can go to ProLifeTraining.com. Uh, again, ProLifeTraining.com. And I encourage them to look at the resource link and select uh, the Case for Life uh, page, which will give them the basics of arguing for the pro-life view. Well, it's always good to be with you. Uh, as we said before, we, uh, we go back a long time. We and, do. Uh, this has been a, such a, a, a great journey and we're coming to a, a pivotal moment in it—not the final victory, but right. uh, what I call a uh, uh, what I call a milestone victory. Uh, yeah. And it's great—it's great to be living uh, in these days together. Uh, would you join me, Scott, in prayer? And 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 I, I like to have our audience as we conclude these programs, um, uh, just to uh, to offer the prayer that uh, that Jesus Himself gave us. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Scott, thanks so much for joining us, and thanks for your work. Father Frank, always good to see you. We'll talk to you soon. And we'll talk to all of you soon, brothers and sisters. Thanks for joining the program. Spread the word as always. And please do connect with me on social media at FR Frank Pavone on all the major platforms. Connect with Right Side Broadcasting at RSB Network. And be assured of our prayers for you and your families. We will talk to you soon. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.